You might not remember it from a couple of weeks ago since it's snowed and flooded and everything else in the time since we were last together. But a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Great Commission. And I said that we were going to spend three Sundays looking at the Great Commission from Matthew to Mark and from Luke. And we talked about Matthew last time. And in the Great Commission in Matthew, the focus is on making disciples. And a disciple is someone who follows. And so the concept, the idea of gaining a follower, making a disciple, requires a little bit of work on the side of the person who's trying to convince them to follow them. And so... When we think about the Great Commission, one of the tasks that was bestowed upon the apostles was to go out and preach and teach. And in Mark, that becomes a primary focus of the Great Commission. Mark is the oldest of the four Gospels. And the primary focus that we see here is in a verse that I'm sure most, if not all of you, are familiar with. And that's what's up on the screen right there. What uh, Tom read there just a few moments ago. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, that sounds great. But we have to define what that actually is. Go and preach the gospel. I understand, go, I understand, into all of the world. But what is this preaching the gospel? What am I supposed to do? There's a new boy uh, that's teaching at school, and I asked him, I said, what did they tell you to do? And he said, go up there and do it. And it's like, eh, okay, I guess that works. But sometimes we have this sort of teaching behind us of, Go up there and do it. Go out there and do it. I would like to talk to somebody about Christ. Yeah, go out there and do it. Well, maybe we need a little bit more focus on what go out there and do it means. Or maybe what does go ye into all the world and preach the gospel mean? Well, this morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what are we to preach. We're going to talk about three things in particular. We're going to talk about facts, commands, and promises. And we're going to look at each of those three as part of our go ye into all the world. Let's start with facts to believe. 1854, Charles Dickens, one of the uh, foremost writers, but published a book called Hard Times. If you've ever read Hard Times, or if you've ever used the quotes or the name Hard Times, uh, this chapter one starts. Um, <clears throat> With the teacher, thinks Mr. Grad Grind, which is an odd name. But his whole point of teaching his class is they need to know all the facts. And it's like, we gotta learn these facts. We gotta learn these facts. We gotta learn these facts. Well, facts are important, right? Facts are important. So if we're gonna preach, if we're gonna teach, if we're gonna go ye into all the world, we need to take facts with us. Okay? And so this is not just a lesson for the apostles, or this is not just a lesson for the preacher, but it's a lesson for all of us, because we're all to go ye into all the world. But we need to take facts with us. And so let's start with our first 
teaching fact of the day. We're going to start with the first fact that Christ was crucified for our sins. That's the first thing we're going to take with us as a fact. Why did Jesus die for our sins? Well, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You all know that verse before. And so if it says for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, anybody that we approach in this go ye perspective is going to be a sinner. But that doesn't make me better than them because I am also in that sinner group, right? Because Romans 3.23, all that. So I'm not any better than anyone else. Will and I were talking about in Bible class this morning about the Pharisee and the publican. You remember when the Pharisee prays and he says, thank goodness I'm not like, he rattles the extortioners and I'm, I'm not like that guy over there. Well, what we can't be in this go ye into all the world is say, you got to try and get to be like me. And sometimes we can fall into that. We're not trying to get anybody to be like me. I'm trying to get everybody to be what? Like Christ, right? That would be the goal right there. Three chapters later, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we're told that the wages of sin is death, right? Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so we're told then that we have two options, right? Sin is going to lead to death. But we have this gift from God... That's eternal life. But we have to get that gift. There is a gift sitting on the coffee table at our house. That gift was under the Christmas tree, but we forgot to take it to Mary's mom's. I don't know what's in that gift. It was a prize of some sort. Mary says it's a lot of fun. It was a joke gift. I don't know what it is. But until that gift is open, What's in it? It's just sitting there waiting to be opened. Well, in many ways, the gift of God is eternal life, right? But we've got to get that gift. We have to open that gift. What if that gift on my coffee table has a million dollars in it? We'd ever one be jumping at it to get it, right? When we go out into the world, this go-ye idea, the fact that Jesus died for our sins... That was a gift for us. We should be jumping at it just the same. This is probably the main idea Jesus had when he said to go and preach the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul was preaching this. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. So what Paul is saying is, when I'm coming to you and I'm preaching, I'm preaching the facts to you. Christ was raised from the dead. In Acts chapter 2, Peter tells this to his audience, right? He tells them that Jesus has been raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, which we were reading just a second ago, and Paul said and he, and that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. So we're going to go out and preach the gospel. We're going to go ye into all the world. Our second fact to present was that Christ was raised from the dead. What about the third fact then that we're going to present? 
That third fact is that Christ would be coming again. Now, you might say, well, all right, we heard a little bit from Peter and Acts, and we heard a little bit from Paul in 1 Corinthians, but how about we hear a little bit from Jesus right here? In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up, the old two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him going into heaven. Now, our first fact, Christ was crucified for our sins. Our second fact, Christ was raised from the dead. Our third fact, Christ is coming again. Those three things are the things that we're going to take with us. Those are the things that we have to present. In the book, Hard Times, the, the teacher says, you got to know all of this stuff. Well, we need to know this stuff if we're going to go out and teach. Because this is what people that want to teach need to know as well. But as that book goes along, the teacher recognizes that maybe I've not done everything right. Maybe if I'm only driving facts into people's head, maybe they don't know what to do with it. For instance, I could come to your house and we could read the Bible every single day for 24 hours a day. And I could read verse 1 and you could quote verse 1 back to me. And then I could read verse 2 and you could quote verse 2 back to me. And we could finish it off. And you might know every single scripture that's in the Bible. But what does that mean? See, there's a difference in knowing facts and having application. So there is a command that has to be obeyed as well. So whenever we talk about going into all the world, there is a command that those people, including ourselves, have to obey as well. Command number one is they have to believe this gospel. So there are these facts that we have presented. And sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to believe that. Well, okay. Because we are free will people, right? We have the ability to hear that and say, I don't want to believe. I don't want to hear. I don't want to believe that. We have that option. Okay? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're to hold people down and drive it into. That's not what... It is. But the command that is still obeying is we are to believe the gospel. Jesus, though, said what Tom read there just a few moments ago, Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, that we must believe the gospel or else we're condemned, right? Or else we're lost. Or else there's no hope for us. It's God's power for salvation to those who believe, right? So if we're willing to believe, John 3 16, eternal life. Can be ours. So that's our first command to obey is that we need to believe. But then we also, if we're looking for commands to obey when we're preaching and teaching, but then we also know that Jesus said that people would need to be baptized for the remission of their sins. It seems to me that in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16 in particular, that Jesus 
expected people to be baptized according to his gospel. I don't know. I want you to read that with me for just a second. I know Tom read it just a second ago, but I want to go look at it myself again. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And this is Jesus talking in verse 15. He said to them, to the apostles, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Just go out and go, go teach whoever you come in contact with. Let's go ahead and teach them. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's what Jesus' follow-up statement there seems to be. So he says, I need you to go out and preach. Okay? In a sense, what we talked about a minute ago, I need you to go out there and give them the facts, right? Teach them a little, give them the information. And if they will believe that and they'll be baptized, he says they'll be saved right there. So there's a command that goes along with the belief. I can tell you everything I know and you can turn around and walk away. But if you want to stay here with me, you have essentially believed what I have presented to you. What's the next step? Well, that's where our commands show up right there. Peter was quite adamant about the necessity of this when he was preaching in Acts chapter 2. Paul recounting his own conversion in Acts chapter 22, related that baptism removed him from sin. A lot of this was discussed the last time in Matthew, but I wanted to throw it there again because we see it repeated. But there's a third command, and I think one that sometimes gets a little bit left behind, and that is to be faithful until death. So we have this command that I have to believe. I can hear, but I also got to believe. And I also need to be baptized, and that's going to be for the remission of my sins. But then I also have a command that I be faithful until death. Faithfulness is necessary for us to get that reward that we were promised a little while back. If there's no faithfulness, there's no reward for it. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and that you are in tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. What we see John writing there is that there's going to be a lot of complications along the way. There's going to be a lot of issues along the way. You're going to run into problems along the way. But there are commands that you have to obey. If you are going to believe, you got to believe. And if you're going to be baptized, you've got to be baptized. But you can't then say, well, I've done the first two, but it's not really that important for me to maintain the third. That third command, be faithful until death, is just as important as the two prior. All three are commands that have to be obeyed. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Can I lose my faith? When Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 said, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you in an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. When I read that verse is saying, is that I have a command to obey, which is to be faithful until death. But you have a command to obey as well. You 
have to build me up. But that's a two-way street there too. I have to build you up as well. How does your faith grow stronger? Through the exhortation of other people with you. How does your faith get weaker? When there's nobody there to build you up. We can understand and relate to that pretty easy, right? So there's a command that we have to obey. But let's go a little bit further. I have all the facts. I'm aware of the commands. What's in it for me? Well, there's a promise to receive as well in Mark chapter 16. First of all, we need to be made aware of the promise. I've told this before. You've heard this. You have the exact same story. Mom, why do I have to do this? Josh already knows the answer right there. Because I said so, right? It's a great answer. Because I said so. Well, that's the accurate answer from mom for why I have to do it. But that doesn't really give a whole lot of detail as to what it would be. What am I gaining from this? Well, what is the promise that I am to receive by doing this? What is the promise of accepting these three facts and then following these three commands? What promise do I have to receive? Well, let's look at promise number one. That is a salvation of sins. Tom read it a minute ago. I read it uh, more recently than that. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized, it says, will be saved. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, presents this opportunity for all from the birth of Christ. Look back at Matthew chapter 1. That's at the very beginning of your New Testament. Verse 21. It says, and she will bring forth a son. Okay, I know this story. I've heard this story before. And you shall call his name Jesus. Okay, I've heard that name. And I now understand where he got his name from. For he will save his people from their sins. That's at the beginning of Matthew. That's the story, the starting point for Jesus right there. That he would save his people from his sins. And Mark chapter 16 and verse 16 is the end of Jesus telling people what they must do to be saved, right? The whole thing falls in to this promise to receive. That salvation is justification for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That blood justifies us. You know what it means to justify us, right? Kind of make it right. And so it's sort of askew. It's not correct. It's out of whack. It's out of order. But Christ's blood justifies us. It sort of gets us on the right line. Promise number two. The gift of life, both abundantly and eternally. Now, I think this is something that sometimes Christians fail to recognize. <clears throat> Jesus said in John chapter 10, 10, that he came that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I think a lot of times we read that and we think, well, heaven's going to be great, but it's just going to be tough here on earth. And so I'm just going to have to grind through it. I'm not going to have a lot of fun, but it's good. I don't read that at all. I've heard people say that Christians should be the happiest people on earth. You ever heard something like that? 
But just the time when they say that, they say, because we've got a greater home in heaven when this life is over. But shouldn't it be fun here on earth? Shouldn't there be enjoyment in life? Shouldn't it be exciting to walk in these doors and see 20 or 30 people or 40 people that you've not seen in a few days and to be able to catch up with them? Shouldn't it be fun to hear that somebody's went on a vacation or somebody's <coughs> like developed a new hobby or somebody's doing it? Shouldn't those things be exciting for us? Shouldn't we be happy when other Christians have success in their life? But sometimes I think we consider like, well, I can't crack a smile. There's no place for cracking a smile in the church building. Have you ever known people that were Christians that were like that? They were just stern as could be. There cannot be anything. How in the world can you present facts? Can you present commands? Can you present promises? But do it with such a stern face that nobody even wants to come around you. There's no approach. There's no proper approach for that. We should have abundant life here on this earth. First John chapter one. Excuse me. First John chapter five. Verses 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. What I read from that is, is that I know right now where my destination is. If I'm sitting around surly and mad, and I'm breaking what it says in 1 John right there. I should be happy. I should be excited. It should be the people that I come in contact that seem kind of down and out because they don't have what I have. That's a promise that we have to receive. But when this life throws those negatives at us, when this life throws those difficulties at us, when this life eventually expires, whatever time it may be, sometimes then people get really sad. And rightfully so. But at the same time, that's maybe when we should be even more excited. Because whatever this earth was, whatever this life was, whatever this three score and ten or by reason of strength four score, this vapor of our life actually was, there's a promise of a reward to receive afterwards. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. The Great Commission in the book of Mark said to go ye into all the world. We do that every day. We take facts with us. We take 
commands with us. And we take promises with us. But if you'll notice, this sermon was quite heavy on scriptures. There's a reason for that. I can tell you what I think, what I believe, but it's much better to go into the scripture and say, here's where the answer is. Here's what to take with you. Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world, preaching, teaching the gospel to every creature. He didn't say, go tell them what Thomas thought. Go tell them what Thaddeus thought. Go tell them what James and John. He said to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. What was the gospel? That's what he came and taught. He said, you've been with me for three years. You've been following along. You've been listening to everything I have said. Go out there and teach that to the people. We've been listening to Jesus probably a whole lot longer than the apostles did. You ever thought about that? Apostles were with Jesus for three years and it was over. A lot of us have been listening to Jesus for half a century. Can we go into all the world preaching and teaching the gospel? Absolutely. Jesus wanted a gospel of good news presented. And I hope that that's what we've seen here this morning. He also made clear what the reward is when this life is over. And I hope that if you've not received that reward, I hope if you've not accepted that reward, that you would do so right now. But I hope more than anything that you wouldn't be like the coffee table at my house with a Christmas present sitting right there with the gift of something right there and you leave it unopened. Because that gift may not be there much longer. And we may never be able to get home to open that gift as well. So the time to get it is right now. If there's anything that we can do for you, we invite you to come while we stand and sing. When the Savior calls out.